0: listening to The Book Judge, a podcast about books that you should read if you're interested in business. I'm your host, Conrad Chua. This is your curated reading list that will give you a better grip on how to approach the complex issues that businesses face. 2020 feels like one screw-up after the next, whether that be the UK's failures in rolling out test and trace, or social media companies failing to control political and COVID-19 misinformation. This week, we'll try to understand why these and other screw-ups happen. The book is Meltdown, Why Our Systems Fail and What Can We Do About It by Chris Clearfield and Andras Tilsik. The authors have a serious warning for all of us. That we're living in a world where the probability and impact of catastrophic failures are increasing in ways that we don't understand. The two main issues that leaders have to focus on when thinking about potential failure. They are the complexity and the coupling of your system. Complexity is how different parts of the system interact with each other. So some systems, like an auto-assembly plant, are linear. One thing leads to another. Everyone on the shop floor can see the different components coming down this literally linear line. And if anything goes wrong, you can stop the line and look for the problems further up the line. In contrast, many systems are nonlinear. Different parts interact in non-obvious ways and there's a lack of transparency over the different relationships. For example, in nuclear power plants, operators never get to observe directly the different things that make a power plant work. They rely on sensors that might break down or measure the wrong thing. And one small problem can spiral rapidly out of control. This is what happened in the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant accident. A plumbing problem caused water that was supposed to cool the nuclear core to escape. Then a valve that was supposed to open did not do so. But the operators in the control room did not know this. So they made decisions based on the wrong information. It took them hours to figure out what was going on. In that time, entire communities had to be evacuated and the Carter administration considered sending terminally ill cancer patients in to clean up the coal. Now, if you're listening to this, you're probably someone in business and you might be thinking, well, I don't work in a nuclear power plant. But complexity has brought down trading systems and entire companies. The authors mentioned the collapse of the trading firm Knight Capital, where a poorly implemented IT patch executed duplicate trades. This happened in 2012, but the finance industry still has not learned the lesson. Just last week, one of UK's largest retail trading firms suffered an IT outage. Investors were locked out of their accounts while the system generated duplicate trades on their behalf. The company is now looking at millions in damages. So this concept applies to everyone. The first factor is complexity. And now the second factor you have to think about is the amount of slack in a system. A tightly coupled system is one where there's very little slack. The failure of one part affects the entire system. A loosely coupled system is more resilient. One part can fail, but the entire system carries on. This means that in a tightly coupled system, it's not enough to be mostly right. You have to be absolutely right all the time. You need all your inputs coming in exactly when they're supposed to. The danger is when your business operates in a complex and tightly coupled way. Then you're vulnerable to these catastrophic failures. And the worst thing is, these failures are rare. You don't have a lot of data to warn you. These complex, tightly coupled systems are also getting more common. You probably know a few where you work. I work in a university that has a very risk-averse attitude when it comes to procurement. There are all these checks and hurdles to cross before you can buy anything. These individual checks have merit, or they could be legally required, but in a way they have nothing to do with whether you're getting value for money from the purchase. So in a way, this is not life or death, but I always wonder whether, like those sensors in Three Mile Island, whether our procurement process with so many checks, actually give us a false sense of security? This is the part of the podcast where I place the spotlight on one part of the book that you can use immediately in your business or in an interview or just to impress your friends. I call this the Did You Know section. I hate award shows. They are these gratuitous, self-congratulatory events that go on for way too long. But the 2017 Academy Awards was notable in how a hugely embarrassing failure was played out in real time in front of millions of TV viewers. If you're part of the Book Judge Facebook group, I've included the YouTube video of this fiasco. It was at the end of the show where... Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway were supposed to present the Best Picture Award. Warren Beatty opens the envelope. He looks completely befuddled, hands it over to Dunaway, who loudly declares La La Land as the winner of the Best Picture Award. The people behind the movie are ecstatic. They go up on stage, make a few speeches. But then, the awards producers announce there'd been a mistake. It was the movie Moonlight that had won. Nobody knows what's going on, what to do. It's all chaos. I mean, someone had to stay on stage. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. This is not a joke. The book explains that it all happened because the award auditors, PwC, had mixed up the envelopes. Beatty was given the envelope for Best Supporting Actress, which had already gone Emma Stone for La La Land instead of getting the best picture envelope. How did this happen? PwC had thought of everything that could screw up. They had two people, one on each entrance. Each person carried a briefcase with the envelopes and they would alternately hand the right envelope to the presenters, who entered the stage from different entrances. The fatal flaw was that each briefcase had the same envelopes. PwC thought this was a safety feature in case one of the briefcases went missing or one of its people was caught in traffic. But for this system to work, both PwC people had to remember to remove the right envelope from their briefcase every time an award was presented, even if it was the other person that was handing the envelope to the presenter. And in this case, the PwC person forgot to remove the best supporting actress envelope when that award was presented earlier. Later, catastrophe struck. My takeaway is really that things screw up even when people have the best of intentions. And you need someone to step back and say, wait a second, these safeguards are just too complicated, creates complexity that no one understands, And let's just stop. The authors don't just share war stories about how things go wrong. They also suggest some remedies. Some of these are technical. For example, how to use tools that force you to think more clearly about confidence intervals of events but I found the suggestions on organizational design and behavior much more interesting. For example, when we think of possible risks, we might sit together and brainstorm about possible things that could happen. But this starting point is limiting. Instead, we should imagine that the worst outcome has already happened and think what could have caused that. This gives us Much richer options to guard against. Another way is to have a diverse workforce. Diverse organizations are less likely to be blindsided because studies have shown that diverse teams scrutinize each other's work a lot more. It turns out that less diverse teams are more willing to trust the judgment of each team member. Similarly, Organizations that are more open to outsiders are more resilient to failure. And then there's what's called the normalization of deviance. This is when unexpected problems happen, but the entire system did not fail. So over time, the organization accepts these problems as okay risks. And they are okay, until they're not. It is precisely this mindset that led to the two space shuttle disasters. For every book I introduce, I have this segment called The Author Question. One question that I could ask the authors. Now, we're just starting to understand the negative impact that social media networks like Facebook and Twitter are having on democratic elections. I've also read and heard how early employees in these companies now regret the actions that the companies took. So my question to Clearfield and Tilshik is this. It's clear that social media networks are experiencing a failure of misinformation. How can Facebook or Twitter regain control of their complex, tightly coupled social networks to prevent misinformation further dividing Our electorates. That's all for this episode of The Book Judge. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And that now includes Amazon Music. So if you have an A-L-E-X-A, you can listen to this podcast with your smart speaker. While you're there, leave a rating. It helps others discover this show. If you have comments, you can tweet me, at Conrad Chua one Chua is spelled C H U A, or send me a DM on Instagram. I'm Chua Kh there. That's C H U A K H. Till next time, this is your book judge Conrad Chua.